0: The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bocklig. I am your host and I am joined by my co-host, Bryce Kirk. How are you doing today, my friend?
1: I'm doing very well, Michael. Nice to see you again.
0: Absolutely. We normally record these episodes after Great Vespers on Saturday evenings, but this time we're recording on a Monday night, and we aren't in the upper room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church this time, but we hope to return there when we record our next episode. Our recording schedule is a little bit out of whack this week because Bryce and I both had a very busy weekend traveling to and from Dallas, Texas for a men's retreat, and it was at St. Seraphim Orthodox Cathedral. And the keynote speaker at that retreat was our very own Father Hans Jacobsi, the spiritual advisor to the Antiochian men that we've mentioned several times in previous episodes. And, and Bryce, I have to say, it was a really fantastic event from my point of view.
1: Oh yeah, I absolutely agree, Michael. Uh, being able to see Father Hans again after nearly a year and a half uh, in person was a very special thing indeed. And he was absolutely on fire with his talk. And in fact, you can see the talk on our Amen YouTube channel. Is just uploaded recently by Michael.
0: That's right. I actually edited a video of the first session of that retreat um, just the other day. So that is actually up and available to view. If anyone's interested in in watching it, uh, the retreat was titled The Path of the Christian Man. It was a men's retreat. There were two sessions. The morning session was for men only, and there was an afternoon session that was actually both for, for men and for women. Uh, both of those sessions were fantastic. We're hoping to put up that second session, uh, the video of it, uh, this coming weekend. So definitely check out the, the video if you're interested. Uh, the morning session was titled, Brotherhood, Learning How to Become a Man Through Communion with Other Men. And uh, that actually touches on what we talked about in our last episode, Bryce, and it was some really, really uh, important stuff that Father Hans was bringing forward. And uh, it was very compelling. His talk, uh, it was over an hour long, and there were lots of men there, and and I don't know you, about you, Bryce, but I definitely learned a lot from his talk.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that Father Hans really likes to address is when we're becoming men, we can't learn that from ourselves, we can only learn that from other men, and he really highlights that in every single talk that he gives.
0: Yeah. And again, if you would like to see that video, just go to our YouTube channel. It is youtube.com forward slash Amen amendomse. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E. Or you can simply just go to antiochianmen.org and click on videos and you'll see uh, the video on that page as well. Definitely worth your time. Father Hans has a gift of speaking to especially men about topics that are very relevant to us as men. So, Highly recommend that you all check out that video. Uh, I should also mention, since we talked in our last episode, Bryce, about our beloved Razorbacks, there was a really big win that happened last Saturday. I don't know if this, this podcast might be helping them out. The fact that we're talking about it, I'm definitely not superstitious. But, you know, Texas A&M was number seven in the country, and now they're not.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a really good game. Uh, good defensive effort by the Hogs way to recover after losing KJ for a minute there. But uh, it's always good to have good college sports, and especially as we can actually go back to the stadiums yeah, um, and be with other fans. It's, uh, it's a good time.
0: Well, and we were in Dallas, and you actually attended the game. You were there in Arlington. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. How was it? What was it like in there?
1: It was electric. Uh, that's a big stadium. I think yeah. it puts over 100,000 people. And being with a bunch of other uh, students cheering on the team was um, it was a beautiful thing to be a part of, and the team's finally good again.
0: Yeah, so, it's great. It's, we're in the top ten, Bryce. That's Can right. Can you
1: believe it? That's right. I'm proud of them.
0: <laughs> well, that's really special. I uh, it's been a while again. We mentioned this in the last episode. It's been a while since we've been able to really cheer uh, quite this loudly for our hogs. They're definitely doing really well. So. Hopefully they can keep it up, although they have number two Georgia coming up. So that's going to be a, a big game and a big challenge. We'll, we'll see how the season plays out. But it's exciting. It's exciting to see that, especially locally here in northwest Arkansas, the excitement uh, surrounding you know our Razorbacks. So we do wish them well. Bryce, we're uh, getting towards the end of the article that we started going through a few episodes ago. And the article, again, is Why Orthodox Men Love Church. I always remind everyone that we have this article up on our Antiochian Men website. So if you go to antiochianmen.org and you scroll down and click on download and view Amen documents, if you click on that, you'll see this article at the top of the page and you can follow along if you would like to. In this episode, we hope to go through two sections. There's a section that is subtitled Jesus Christ and Continuity. So we'll start with Jesus Christ. Bryce, why don't you start us off again here with uh, the first two paragraphs in this section.
1: Okay, uh, let's get going here. What draws men to orthodoxy is not simply that it is challenging or mysterious. What draws them is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything the church does or says. In contrast to some other churches, quote, orthodoxy offers a robust Jesus, unquote, and even a robust Virgin Mary, for that matter, hailed in one hymn as our, quote, Captain Queen of War, unquote. Several use the term marshal or referred to orthodoxy as the, quote, Marine Corps, unquote, of Christianity. The warfare is against self destructive sin and unseen spiritual powers, not other people, of course.
0: Bryce, as you were reading that, I think that what really st- stood out is this analogy to the Marine Corps of Christianity, talking about warfare, talking about, you know, something that sounds very militant. And it says in here that the warfare is against self-destructive sin, you know, not other people. And the reality is that spiritual warfare is something that we deal with every day, whether we acknowledge it or not. And I think what this article is trying to point to is that in orthodoxy, we're given a toolbox. And you could see that toolbox is kind of being armed with weapons to confront ourselves, to confront the sin that is within us. And to overcome that spiritual warfare. Now, a lot of people aren't necessarily very familiar with or used to talking about spiritual warfare. But that is something that we become more and more aware of as we make progress in our spiritual life and I think one of the places that comes out the most is during Great Lent. And we talked about this recently, about the fact that we learn a lot more about ourselves during Great Lent and about how sinful we are, but also the disciplines of the Orthodox Church give us the weapons to fight against the evil powers that are out there that are trying to pull us down and drag us down into sin.
1: Yeah, Michael, I think it's, uh, I think one of the main aspects that people find in Orthodoxy is the discipline. And from that discipline comes the freedom to combat uh, elements of spiritual warfare. So, you know, you have the tools that the church gives, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and utilizing those in a way to your advantage in order for you to properly combat these powers. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't do it by your own volition. You have to do it through the tools of the church. And you're not doing it by yourself. You're in communion with other people. What I think they're getting at in this article, Michael, is the disciplinary action that comes from being an Orthodox Christian and the clear-cut way in which it is done. And so many of our saints before us have described spiritual warfare, for example. There's even a book called Spiritual Warfare. Yeah. And it's been a constant for a very long time in the church. And I guess just getting to the point of this faith takes discipline— and it depicts Christ and his holy mother as being warriors in and of themselves in their own ways.
0: Yeah, and we're called to be warriors too. And that's something that I think this article does a good job by using uh this this term Marine Corps, because we do think of discipline when we think of the military. You know, anybody that's been to boot camp, I, I personally haven't, but have known people that have and have told me, you know, it's all about training, about Disciplining yourself, about self mastery, like we've talked about before. And these are our very critical steps that we need to take to make sure that we can have success on the battlefield of spiritual warfare. Why don't I go ahead and read the next section of the article here? One contrasted this robust quality with the feminized pictures of Jesus I grew up with. I never had a male friend who would not have expended serious effort to avoid meeting someone who looked like that though drawn to jesus as a teen quote i felt ashamed of this attraction as if it were something a red-blooded american boy shouldn't take that seriously almost akin to playing with dolls unquote you know bryce i find this part really really interesting because it's talking about the, the pictures of Jesus that this person grew up with, and I'm assuming the person is a Protestant. You know, there's many Protestants that won't accept icons, for example. They think that they're graven Im- images. They look at our icons and kind of cringe. But at the same time, there's a lot of children's books out there that Protestants are okay with that have images of Jesus, of the apostles, of maybe even some of the saints and scenes from the Bible. And those are images. And a lot of times children grow up uh, reading those kinds of children's books and and reading Bible stories, which is there's nothing wrong with. However, it's interesting that it's talking about those pictures as being feminized. And so it, it seems like this article is pointing to the fact, and it's brought up the feminization of Christianity at several points in this article, that this may actually start at a much younger age, even with children with very soft feminized pictures of Jesus. And I remember reading some even children's books that had Jesus Christ in it. And it is a very different look than the iconography in the Orthodox Church. And for people that don't know, iconography is something that has been handed down through church tradition. So iconographers don't ideally paint Jesus any way that they want Jesus to look like. There is an actual tradition because Jesus Christ was a man that walked earth and looked a particular way. And through the generations, the exact description and likeness of Christ has been handed down in that tradition. So I think a lot of the images in children's books may be leading people astray and conditioning people from even a very young age.
1: Yeah, I think bringing the topic of Orthodox iconography in makes sense because there's a rather consistent picture of Jesus. And in other traditions that may not be the case. And so what does that do? What does that present? It presents Christ in different ways. It may present him as a child. It may present him as being perhaps more feminine. When I go into a church and I look at an icon of Christ, I see a picture of him that is consistent, a picture that is either holding the book of judgment open or closed, a picture that has a stern yet loving face. I look at it, identify who he is. He's the king, and he's dressed as such. And he's not distant, but he's presented in the way in which he is, and that is the truth and the king of all.
0: That's very well said, Bryce. Why don't you go ahead and read the next two paragraphs?
1: A priest writes, Christ in orthodoxy is a militant. Jesus takes hell captive. Orthodox Jesus came to cast fire on the earth. Males can relate to this. In holy baptism, we pray for the newly enlisted warriors of Christ, male and female, that they may be kept ever warriors invincible. After several years in Orthodoxy, one man found a service of Christmas carols in a Protestant church, quote, shocking, even appalling, unquote. Compared to the Orthodox hymns of Christ's nativity, quote, the little Lord Jesus Asleep on the hay has almost nothing to do with the eternal logos entering inexorably, silent yet heroically into the fabric of created reality.
0: There's a lot of good stuff in those two sections, Bryce. I I really love the fact that, again, it's going back to this kind of military terminology uh, newly enlisted warriors of Christ, uh, referring to those who have. Been baptized. You know, there's a there's a very popular podcast out there called The Lord of Spirits. Father Stephen DeYoung and Father Andrew Stephen Damick are the hosts of that podcast, and it's one of the many with Ancient Faith Radio. Father Stephen DeYoung happens to be a priest in our diocese and he leads our monthly Antiochian men Bible studies. Father Stephen DeYoung said something once I'll never forget, and I can't remember which of the episodes it was in, but he said that, you know, in military terms the decisive battle of any war is never the final battle. Usually you'll have a turning point. You'll have the Battle of Midway, the Battle of Gettysburg. There's many turning point battles throughout history, but it's it's never that final battle. There's always battles that follow it. And for us as Christians, Christ's death and resurrection is that decisive battle. And now, since that point up until now and going forward, our job is to assist in routing the enemy and actually routing the demons. So we have an active role when we're baptized, and it makes the Great Commission, through a military lens, seem even more meaningful. Because when we are baptized, we are essentially recruited into an army to rout the enemy. And if you think of the Great Commission in military terms, it's a very rousing thing. We have an important duty to enter into the battle as newly enlisted warriors of Christ, like this article is saying. And I know that's something that men can really relate to and can really get motivated by, because we are called to enter into the battle and to fight alongside the angels. And so then our lives as Christians becomes an exorcistic life where we're looking for ways to contribute in that battle.
1: And I also think, Michael, too, with what it projects here is that everyone has a a purpose. Everybody has a a role that they need to fill. Right. And, you know, broadly speaking that is a warrior, but at the same time everyone has their own challenges, everyone has their own battles. And it's the little places there that matters. The way that we react in those fights are what matters. And, you know, like you said, there's a turning point and Christ trampling down death by death was that turning point. And we find ourselves in this role now.
0: Yeah, you know, this other part of the section is talking about Christmas and Christmas carols in a Protestant church being done as a service. You know, there's, I think Christmas carols are are fun to do just, you know, with your family and, and something that has really become a part of Western just culture. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with, with singing Christmas carols, but to do it in the context of a worship service, I can understand the reaction of this person here. You know, when we approach the nativity fast in the Orthodox Church, there's a seriousness that really happens. You know, there's a reason why we fast and prepare for the nativity for Christmas. It's even referred to by many in the Orthodox Church as a winter Pascha, talking about Christmas. And the way we prepare ourselves for what is the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, of Jesus Christ, It's something that I think is, is definitely getting more and more diluted in our culture, especially in this country, uh, the true purpose and meaning of Christmas, all the commercialization is obviously out of control. But there's a very serious and deep meaning and importance to the scandal of the incarnation, to God becoming man. And so I can actually relate to this part of the article. I don't think it's even just specific to Protestants, I think that everywhere, it feels like in our culture today, Christmas is, is going farther and farther away from what its true meaning and purpose is, and why we as Christians should really take that season of the year very seriously.
1: Yeah, I agree, Michael. And I think the real, quote-unquote, war on Christmas is that it's more or less just uh, a grift, it's more or less just a way to make money. Right. And if Christians fall into this spell, then, you know, it removes a lot of what is actually happening with the incarnate logos, with the winter Pascha, with the preparation, with all of those things. That's to say, in the Orthodox Church on Christmas Day and in the time afterward, we always say, Christ is born, glorify Him. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily, rather than Merry Christmas, but before Merry Christmas, in place of Merry Christmas. Even saying that, you you realize what's happening with it.
0: Yeah, it, it it's a good reminder of the importance of what the Incarnation means for mankind, and and I think that's a really good thing to highlight. Bryce is that you know we have traditions in the Orthodox Church, just like. Uh, at Easter, we say, Christ is risen, and the response is, truly he is risen. It's proclaiming that very real and meaningful event, and it's the same thing at the nativity. It's the same thing for Christmas, where we say, Christ is born, glorify him. It shifts the focus towards where it should be, and I think that's the the best way to say it. Let's go ahead and move on to the next section that's subtitled Continuity, and I'll read the next paragraph here. Many intellectually inclined Orthodox converts began by reading church history and the early Christian writers and found it increasingly compelling. Eventually, they faced the question of which of the two most ancient churches, the Roman Catholic or the Orthodox, makes the most convincing claim of being the original Church of the Apostles.
1: Well, I suppose I can actually personally relate to this section, Michael, given that when I was coming into the church, this was kind of my first experience. I was taking a class in undergrad on the Byzantine Empire, and I had taken a class not too long before that on some of the early Christian writers. And with that, you know, I began to think, what What do these guys believe that's different than what I believe now? And it almost reminds me of a quote from our old priest, Father John Atchison, talking about St. John Chrysostom when he was in the pentecostal faith he said you know there used to be a time when i wondered if my denomination would ordain saint john but now i wonder would he ordain me yeah and thinking about that in my own personal life you know going to find the ancient church you just don't find it because of the aesthetics or because it's old or because it's traditional all those things are part of it i suppose but what really matters at the end of the day is that it's where the truth is yeah And the person of Christ is represented as He is, as He exists now, as He existed then, and as He exists forever.
0: Yeah, and I've also noticed, you know, I've been in the Orthodox Church my whole life, and over the years, I've I've noticed this pattern that there's a lot of people who do their own homework, who research church history, who you know, even there's full churches that feel that they've lost their way. Even in some cases, the the pastor may. Uh, may go want to go back to the basics with the community. And so they research the apostolic fathers. They they research the church fathers, and it ultimately will lead them to the Orthodox Church. Every single time that happens, that's where it leads them. There's even whole churches that have converted to the Orthodox Church. I lived almost half of my life in California, and there were several churches in in that state that that all converted to orthodoxy together, went through a catechism process of a year or two years. They were non-denominational churches that... Honestly, wanted to, again, get back to the roots of Christianity. And what I find really fascinating, Bryce, in your undergrad degrees in history, it's no wonder to me that you found the Orthodox Church because that was your focus. But when people really look at the history of the church, not just the Book of Acts and then skipping ahead to the Protestant Reformation, there's a lot of history that occurred from the end of the Book of Acts to the Protestant Reformation that a lot of people just don't study or haven't heard anything about, important church history, seven ecumenical councils to put down heresies. Things that are happening now, in some cases, are just reiterations of heresies that have happened before. When people really look at the history, ultimately it leads them to the Orthodox Church because there is continuity from the early days of the first Christians, the early church, all the way to this day.
1: Yeah, and I think that stuff matters, again, not just because of the knowledge aspect of it, but because it helps with the experience. Because you see people during that time period who are martyred for their faith, or they're you know, they going to their graves defending things that you might go, why are they putting so much effort into that? Concepts like the filioque, concepts like Arianism, concepts like Nestorianism, why does that stuff matter so much? The saints tell us that's why. And some of them confess Christ with their blood up until the end.
0: And why is history so important, Bryce? To me, you know, when I was studying history, it was one of my favorite subjects. And my teachers would always say that the most important reason we study history is so that we don't repeat past mistakes. There's a lot of things that the church has been persecuted for over the generations. There's a lot of things that have happened where saints have been martyred. Very godly people have confessed Christ with their very blood. And even in their death, they've converted masses of people. In some cases, the executioners of the martyrs were converted because of things that have happened. You know, when we read about this history, history matters. It's not just about not repeating past mistakes. It's also learning about successes, learning about the lives of the people who contributed to the growth of Christianity and the spread of the Christian faith.
1: Right, and the reason that you're here today is because of their efforts. Exactly. Bryce, why don't you go ahead and take the next two paragraphs? A lifelong Orthodox says that what men like is stability— Men find that they can trust the Orthodox Church because of the consistent and continuous tradition of faith it has maintained over the centuries. A convert says, The Orthodox Church offers what others do not, continuity with first followers of Christ. This is continuity, not archaeology. The early church still exists, and you can join it. Continuing, What drew me was Christ's promises to the church about the gates of hell not prevailing, and the Holy Spirit leading into all truth, And then seeing in Orthodoxy a unity of faith, worship, and doctrine with continuity throughout history.
0: Continuity is definitely the key word here, and something that we talked about, or you brought up, Bryce, in the last episode is apostolic succession and the importance of that. That means that the Orthodox Church has its roots going all the way back to the Apostles, and that matters. That means that the traditions that have been handed down to us come all the way back from the time of Christ and the apostles. And the faith has not changed. That's the important thing. Although the church has evolved in the way that has, it has expressed the faith, the faith itself has always remained the same. In fact, and I mentioned ecumenical councils earlier, the only reason why ecumenical councils were called and the bishops of the church had to meet was because there were heresies that arose. And so it was to clarify the faith. It wasn't to change the faith. And that's an important concept that I think a lot of people miss. You know, some people hear about the ecumenical councils and they immediately think there had to have been corruption, and that's not the case at all.
1: Well, I like what you said, Michael, because I used to believe that there was some form of corruption. I remember when I was younger, hearing about concepts of, you know, ecumenical councils or Constantine corrupting the church and founding the, the Roman Catholic Church and doing all these things, where first of all, there's no historical precedent for that. Yep. Second of all, These councils, I mean, we've already said this, but these councils were started in order to combat heresies. The church already knew what was there. They fought and they died and they bled for the faith to defend it and not for the purpose of, oh, you know, there's corruption here. Oh, there's going to be a church that will control everybody. That's not the case. There's no precedent for that. And when you understand that, after looking for yourself, reading about the church... That throughout history, you understand that there's a pattern because nobody gives their life for a lie unless they really believe it. Yeah, but frankly, I don't believe that the martyrs were in that position right, yeah, that's
0: really well said Bryce. And I would really challenge anyone that's listening to this podcast look, look this up. Do your own homework. Find out what the ecumenical councils were about. Find out what was decided and what was clarified in it. It's really fascinating to me how many people come to the Orthodox Church, and they don't know anything about a lot of this history that we've just been talking about. And when they find out about it, it kind of blows their mind. And in some cases, they feel cheated or lied to that they weren't told about all of this important church history that informs who we are today as Christians. Again, this is about continuity. This is about following the early church all the way to today, and there is a straight line that exists from then until now. There are a lot of people out there that are looking for the true church. They're looking for the apostolic church. And just like this article says, it does still exist and you can join it. Bryce, you're living proof of that.
1: Thank God, Michael. I I definitely think that the journey was not as long as it could have been, but for good reason.
0: Let's go ahead and finish this section of the article with the last paragraph. I'll go ahead and read that. Another word for continuity is tradition. A catechumen writes that he had tried to learn everything necessary to interpret Scripture correctly, including ancient languages. Quote, I expected to dig my way down to the foundation and confirm everything I'd been taught. Instead, the further down I went, the weaker everything seemed. I realized I had only acquired the ability to manipulate the Bible to say pretty much anything I wanted it to. The only alternative to cynicism was tradition. If the Bible was meant to say anything, it was meant to say it within a community, with a tradition to guide the reading. In orthodoxy, I found what I was looking for. Bryce, you know this word tradition can be a barrier for a lot of people. Sometimes people think that tradition especially in the context of the church, has to be a bad thing. But it's definitely not. Tradition is simply what has been handed down. And that which has been handed down within the Orthodox Church that traces its roots all the way back to Pentecost and has been guided by the Holy Spirit since. And when we talk about tradition in the Orthodox Church, it's so important. Because, for example, the the church fathers, the, the saints of the church, not just the apostles, but the church fathers that came after them, in the early church. These were great theologians that knew Christ, in some cases, knew Christ personally. These are people that I can rely on because I personally don't think that I'm an expert in theology. But when I read these great men, St. John Chrysostom, for example, that you've mentioned before, Bryce, these are people that knew Christ so much better than I feel that I do now. And I hear people say that all you need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that you can figure it all out just between you and him. But the truth is we need each other. And this is talking about community. The community of the church goes back generations and our church family includes the saints that have come before us and the church fathers.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Michael, and even when you know you bring up holy holy scripture within the context of orthodoxy, it is not a dichotomy between faith and works, or between Scripture and tradition, the Church Fathers hold the Holy Scriptures in the highest regard, and that continues today. And so getting over the barrier of tradition as being something that's just old, frankly something that's just deserted, is not the case within Orthodoxy, because the tradition is alive, yeah, and it's not done just for the sake of doing it. Somebody said to me one time, Michael, that tradition is not the passing along of ashes, but preservation of the flame. Hmm. And I think that is very much alive within Orthodox Christianity today, sometimes quite literally, with the holy fire in Jerusalem every Pascha. That is a literal flame. That's right. And so that's a miracle that continues to this day. And I think people need that strong base in the tradition founded upon the blood of the martyrs, founded upon the writings of the Holy Fathers, upon the Holy Scripture, upon the apostles themselves, and even Christ himself, All of these things exist today, and some of it may look a little different, but it still has the same consistent efforts that the liturgy has always been.
0: That's right. And Bryce, I love the fact that you brought up Scripture, because, you know, in the first few hundred years of church history, there wasn't a Bible, at least in the way that we see the Bible today. So, so much of what the early Christians experienced was handed down. And for those people out there that don't trust tradition, you're going to have to throw the Bible out because the Bible came from tradition. And that's something that people don't understand. There was even a council to decide what books would be accepted as scripture in the Bible, but that didn't happen for a few hundred years. But there were still Christians during that time. So again, it's important to realize that it's not picking tradition over the Bible. It's not this false dichotomy. Scripture and tradition are meant to work together. It's best to look at church tradition and to look at Scripture as working with each other, not against each other and not one above the other.
1: Having said that, I do think that uh, many Orthodox should spend more time reading their Bible. I know for certain that I should do that.: Yeah, myself as well. I think
0: you know that' it's, it's easy to talk about these things, but also, Bryce, you know one of the benefits of this podcast is that it's helped us to look at ourselves and what we can do better. There is a daily reading that is supposed to be done, and I'll I'll be honest, I haven't done it every day. There's a a regular rhythm for us to read the scriptures. So you know, we, we talk a lot about tradition in scripture, but we really should be practicing what we preach, all of us, and remembering that by reading the scripture, that's another way that we can get to know God better and to become more like God at the same time. Well, that's our show for today. Appreciate you listening to this episode. There is one last couple of sections that we will do in our next episode to wrap up this article. It's been a great series and we appreciate you coming along with us for this journey. I'd like to remind everybody that we do have a website. Please visit that website at antiochianmen.org and check out our organization and what we do. We also have a YouTube channel. Please be sure to visit that as well and look at the many videos that we have available to watch, including the retreat we mentioned earlier. That video is available to watch at youtube.com forward slash amendomsi.
1: And remember to listen to us wherever you find your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and on the Antiochian Men website or YouTube channel as well.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next
1: time.